0: And sometimes people would just do like the funniest things. Like I had these two like kind of burly bearded brothers when I said to them, like, Hey, is there anything you want to do, um, you know, for yourselves? And they're like, um, yeah, we want to choke each other. Like Bart Simpson. (laughs)
1: Hello! So today we are going to speak to Eric and we're going to kind of go over what he's done. We found him in a Star Tribune article that is our local newspaper. So we're just excited to dive into his story and kind of hear about his. Okay, he was able to express his experience through art in kind of a different way than we have ever realized for ourselves. Mm-hmm. As an option, or with anyone we've interviewed already, so we're just really excited to dive into that and get to know about him a little bit more. Yeah,
2: I'm really excited about this. We saw this uh, a while back. Um, I'd gotten this article from both of my parents, just you know, stating like, "Hey, this guy would be really cool to talk to." Um, and basically, like Erica said, he's kind of explored this through art. He has a uh, what he's called the family resemblance uh project it's a photo project he'll go into it in more detail but uh we kind of just wanted to highlight that because I think it's a really really cool story from what we read in his interview in the Star Tribune but um I'm excited to kind of talk to him a little bit more in depth so we'll be joined by him shortly um I don't think we have any real you know quote-unquote housekeeping kind of things uh for you guys this week um We are going to be doing a a fundraiser soon, so look out for that on our social media and such. But otherwise, uh, let's just dive into our interview with Eric. All right, so we are being joined today by Eric Miller today um, from Eric Miller Photography. Uh, So we, uh, like we said, we found him out um, on uh, the Star Tribune, just an article about his uh, Family Resemblance Project. So we're really uh, excited to have you here today. Uh, welcome to Colombian Influence.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you guys.
2: Yeah, we're really excited to kind of get to know you and learn about the project, and just kind of I, again, like our whole thing is just about like storytelling, which obviously is very similar to kind of what you do. So um, I guess let's just kind of start off with uh, just kind of some general. You know the usual adoption questions—just kind of uh, where you're from, how old you were, um, you know your your family uh, dynamics and everything.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I'm. Um, uh, I was born in 1965, so I'm 55 years old, and uh, I was adopted as an infant. Uh, I came to my parents, uh, my adoptive parents, who I call my parents, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> when I was when I was about six weeks old. Um, and I have an older brother and sister and they are also adopted. So all three of us are adopted. My parents couldn't have, um, kids biologically. And so they chose, uh, adoption. Um, oh, okay. and okay. when I was growing up, you know, it was, it was, we never made a big deal out of it. Like there, there was never a, a day I got told I was adopted. It was just something that I always knew, you know, like. Like I have blue eyes or I live in Minnesota or I'm adopted. And, um, mm. so it was just very much part of a normal part of life. And, you know, friends would often be like interested in, and like, Oh, well, that's different. They would ask me a question or two, but you know, that's that was different.
2: Very it, Minnesotan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, so I was, I am from Minnesota. You, I'm sure you can tell from my accent. Sometimes I like to talk like my dad who talked like this, uh, he, <laughs> um, But, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in, uh, the suburban twin cities. I grew up in, uh, New Hope, uh, Minnetonka, Bloomington. And now I live in uh, Minneapolis in the Lindale Lake neighborhood with my husband.
1: So with your, uh, adopted siblings, are they from the same family or all different families?
0: Yeah. So we're from all different families. Um, yeah, you know, we, um, We're all um, ethnically very similar, so we could pretty easily and did pretty easily pass as a bio family, Mm -hmm. you know, which only when you get older do you realize what a luxury that is when you, you know, you learn about people who, or you meet people who come from transracial adoptions, and then you sort of realize, like, the extra burden that they have on them, which I didn't have at all. Um, So, yeah, so we were all adopted from different families. My my brother and sister were adopted in um, Wisconsin, which is when my parents lived there. And they, um, and I was adopted here through the Lutheran social service oh,
2: me too. Um,
0: in Minneapolis. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Okay. So, so they're from adopted from Wisconsin. You said you're adopted through Minnesota. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, and you said you're about six weeks old when you were adopted. Was that kind of similar with your siblings also?
0: Um, I think my brother was actually a little bit older. Um, I think uh, my sister was similar. I think my brother might've been like nine months to a year. Um, and he had some health issues. He had like a, like, uh, this might not be a PC term anymore, but he had a club foot is what we Mm -hmm. called it when I was a kid. And then he had like some braces and that all got, um, now he, now he walks entirely normally, but I don't know if that had anything to do with his adoption. I actually never asked about that, but, um, yeah. Yeah, we we, actually, we never really talked about it a lot when I was a kid. Like, I never remember asking a lot of questions about it. I think I probably asked some when I was really young enough till my, um, till my imagination was satisfied, and then we never really talked about it again after that. Not very much. It never that it was like a closed subject. My mom and dad were always yeah. very open with it. But I just didn't have – I didn't – I guess I thought that I would never, ever meet – or have access to my biological family. So I just never mm-hmm. I just kind of closed that door and thought well I'll never I'll never have access to them so there's no point in ever even thinking about it or talking about it. If that makes well, any anything,
2: sense. Oh yeah. No I think that that's the thing with like adopted kids is like there's there's an angle of which adults don't know what to ask but I like kids certainly don't know what to ask either. Like there's really not any education on the subject really whatsoever. So it's like, we're trying to kind of gear, like figure out the conversation based on us being, you know, in our twenties, but it's like kids, where on earth would they get those questions from? Like it, like you said, it's kind of like you asked to kind of uh, satisfy your imagination and just kind of like build, you know, the pieces together yourself. But it's like, I don't think a kid would really even know what to ask and or really anything like that.
0: Yeah. I, I um, you know, I, I don't even know that I thought of my biological parents as real people until like maybe I was in elementary school and I don't know what, oh, I don't know what age you are when you do genetics and you like, you learn about like recessive and recessive genes and you learn about eye color. And I remember we did an eye color, um, uh exercise in class where you you know you write down your eye color and then the eye colors of your, your everyone around you and that's supposed to help figure out you know mm-hmm. supposed to help prove the the dominant and recessive gene theory i remember thinking like oh well gosh like, i wonder what eye colors my biological parents have because i had never yeah. i never really thought of them as people before they were just an sure. abstract concept as a kid and that was sort of the first time i remember thinking of them as having bodies
1: mm-hmm. mm. and that we- Have you, at that point then, have you wanted to meet them or find them? Or was that just never a thing for you?
0: Yeah, so for me, um, it was a very long journey um, of admitting to myself well, first having the vocabulary and then admitting to myself that I wanted to try to find them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, when the the thing, I don't know if this was your experience, this has been your experience too, but at least for people of my generation, um, you know, anytime, anytime anybody would find out I was adopted, the, usually the first question they would say is like, oh, well, you know, do you, have you met your birth parents or do you want to meet your birth parents? And I always yep. said I I always said oh no I've never met them and I don't want to meet them. And I think I actually didn't want to meet them for a really long time. Again because I didn't really think about them as having lives mm-hmm. or or I didn't really think of them as think of them as fully formed people. Um, but you know as time went on I, a number of things kind of wore that down in me, or maybe not wore it down. That's not quite the word. It revealed what I, what I actually, what was hiding underneath, which was, I really did want to know. I I think it's only natural to want to know your origin story. I think it's natural to want to know where you come from and what are some things that helped shape you, um, you know, biologically.
1: Exactly. So then what age were you when you started kind of doing the search
0: so yeah, so like I say, it was a very long process. So sort of once I had realized that I wanted to do that, it then took me a long time to kind of get the nerve up to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was probably in my thirties when I when I when I sort of realized that I wanted to do that, but you know I didn't. Even, even though I had like amazing parents, like my parents they they both passed away in about two years ago, um even though they were amazing and you know were exactly what you want in a parent, which which was they you know provided unconditional love for me and allowed me to be who I needed to be. Um, my older sister would probably say they allowed me a little bit too much because she says I was such a spoiled kid, and that's probably true. but um <laughs> even though even though my parents were so open and accepting of everything, I still was kind of afraid to tell them that I wanted to find who my biological parents were, Yes, which I think is just, I think we all feel that as adoptees, right? You, if you have a good relationship with your parents, I know not every adoptee does. Um, You know, I just, I didn't want to hurt them in any way. And it took me a long time to realize that, it was okay for me to be curious about where I came from. And that didn't in any way take away my love for my own parents.
1: That is for sure a feeling that I had. Um, but, you know, my parents were kept talking about, you know, when you're ready, you can meet them. So I met my birth mom when I was 18, which was pretty young, honestly. It seemed at that point like, oh, that took forever. <laughs> you know, I wanted to know my whole life. But looking back, it's like, whoa, I was that was a lot to take in at that age. <laughs> so yeah. waiting, I think was a good idea, but that guilt feeling is for sure something that's kind of just hindering over you for a long time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it really did. And, and, you know, I, I had been accustomed to hiding things yeah, um, because I'm gay and, you know, in people again of my generation, mm-hmm. it was not, It's, you know, we've seen such an amazing transformation over the last couple of decades, which is wonderful. Absolutely. You know, but for when I was growing up, you know, you you not only didn't, you didn't tell people you were gay, you didn't even admit to yourself you were gay. And so even though, you know, being gay has nothing to do with being adopted, the part that they're related in my mind is they both were about hiding something about Mm -hmm. myself that I didn't, I didn't want to admit to myself or admit to the world. And it took me a while to be comfortable enough with them so that I could explore both of those things
2: yes well yeah it's like it's all with I mean identity is such a big thing when it comes to adoption to begin with and it's like you have that added (laughs) extra layer and like that would just I don't know that would just like make it I think more internally like complicated like I can see that's you know, maybe why it did take you a little bit longer. And I mean, everybody has their own path as far as if they want to meet people or like how they want to figure out their identity. Cause it doesn't always come from the same place, obviously. Um, cause like Erica said, she's met her birth, uh, birth mom when she was 18. I have not, you know, and I'm in my late twenties and it's like, and I'm not even sure if that's something that I want to pursue. Um, just because like, I am looking into my identity in like a different way and just kind of like the term, I don't know if you've heard the term coming out of the fog is something that adoptees kind of find on their own. It's, it's, it's funny because like, I, the only reason I know about it is like, I've been doing so much research over the last six ish months, but I had no clue about so many of these things, but there's a lot of this stuff that is so common amongst adoptees with like figuring out identity and, and such.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So that seems pretty common between all of us. (laughs) It's nice to hear hear another side of it, like, okay, that, you know, those feelings are valid.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's, um, that, that's the other reason, um, that, you know, in a way being gay, at least for people of my generation is similar to being adopted is that you feel like you're the only person, um, that has these feelings. And then you meet other people and, and you then you kind of find your tribe of people and that just mm-hmm. helps calm you and help you, helps you be more comfortable with who you are.
1: Exactly.
2: So kind of thinking about your family growing up, um, obviously the three siblings, what was like the uh, age difference between the three of you? Like what was your, upbringing, like, like, were you raised in any sort of like religious family or anything like that?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, um, um, my, there's actually a pretty big age gap. I'm the youngest. Um, my sister is eight years older and my brother is 11 years older. And, um, we were raised, um, in the, as Lutherans, um, pretty common here in Minnesota. And, um, my parents were Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty liberal Lutherans. Um, and, uh, we went to church every Sunday and, um, uh, I also participated in like the youth activities at my church and, uh, I really loved it. Um, I'm actually an atheist now, but, um, I really loved it cause I really loved the community aspect of it. There were mm. tons and tons of people my age, um, in the youth group and we did a lot of activities together and, you know, I formed some really great friendships in that group. To to me, that's what church was about. Growing up was about community and friendship, mm-hmm. um, and coming together with you know people in a, in a positive way. Um, it was it wasn't so much about um, what I think you know it is for a lot of people, which is about worshiping the Lord and um, yeah. And I I know I love the music. I went to, we went to central Lutheran church in downtown Minneapolis, which is a big, beautiful church. It has a fantastic organ. Um, Mm -hmm. My mom was a singer and she often sang there and, um, and I sang in the choir there. And so I just, I love that whole part of, of religion and was the choir and singing and, and the community.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, I guess just kind of the reason I ask that is just because like, obviously it depends on those kinds of things with like, if you were just kind of like with your layers of identity, it's like you had this additional thing of like, I'm assuming coming out, I guess you can kind of tell us that um, yourself is just like coming out to your family and then seeing also like if they were accepting of when you wanted to find birth family and such, like, can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't come out until, um, uh i was uh actually out of graduate school i was pretty late in coming out um <laughs> to my parents uh um but actually you know I, I didn't really come out to a lot of people until i was in graduate school so i was so what does that make me you know like 22 23 when i came out um and i um i actually wasn't so worried about how my parents would react because my brother who like i say who's 11 years older is gay as well and had already come uh-huh. out so i didn't uh, you know, I had a privilege, pretty privileged upbringing because I, I didn't have to worry about what many gay kids worry about, which mm. is I'm going to come out and I'm going to be not only rejected by my parents, but maybe also thrown out of the house, yeah. you know, which, does, which happens a lot, right? There's so many yeah. kids on the street who are, you know, it's a higher percentage of them are gay than, than, than in just the regular, than in than the rest of the world. So, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't have to worry about that. So um, so the only anxiety about it was my own interior anxiety. I was still knew sure. I would be safe. I still knew I would have a place to sleep that night, et cetera. Um,
1: yeah. And so when you did that, was it the same time kind of all of it came together where you wanted to find your birth parents or <sighs> –
0: no, so I was that was in my I guess I was in my um early 20s when I came out to them and then it was kind of only in my like mid 30s that I sort of admitted to myself I wanted to find my birth parents and it was um only 10 years ago so I was 45 when I actually did the search.
2: Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit just like what your process was, how that went yeah. just cuz like then obviously the the article we read about you was you finding this photo. So it's like kind of just like the leading up to that, just tell yeah. us whatever you like.
0: So, um, I, when I finally, you know, it kind of came to the realization that I really did want to know something about, you know, who my parents were and I should back up and say like part of it was prompted by, um, a visit to the doctor. So, you know, because when you're adopted and you go to the doctor yeah. and they <laughs> ask for medical history, you're just like, well, I have no idea. And they just, <laughs> you just write down the doctor, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> We totally get that.
0: <laughs> and you think, like, how weird is it that I don't know, like, the most basic stuff about myself? Which, you know, I just never really questioned that. I was just like, well, I'll never know this stuff. Mm. Um, and then I I got, I had a new doctor, I think, you know, like, when I was, like, 44 or something like that. And the first time I met with him, I told him that. And he was a super nice guy. And he's like, you know, it would be really helpful to me if I knew some of that information. Mm. You know, you're in your mid-40s now. and it would be great if we could get some of that information. And I was like, oh, well, gosh, you know, and that's sort of the thing that gave me in one sense permission Mm -hmm. or something I could hide behind and say like, okay, well, I'm doing this for medical reasons. That's why I want to find who my birth parents are. Um, And uh, you know, of course I was super curious myself, but that's what I told myself. And, um, and so I, so um, in order to, you know, this was before the age of ancestry.com or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know, back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the way that it worked then was I um, had to fill out some paperwork from Lutheran social service. I don't mm-hmm. know why I can't say that Lutheran social service, um, <laughs> which I had, to, had to get notarized and then mail it in. And then, you know, they, um, I, I got a letter back saying they would contact me. And then, um, I think it took about, six months until um i got contacted by them on the phone but when the letter i got said um you know thank you you're in queue um you know we don't have a lot of social workers that do this kind of work so you know when it's your turn we'll give you a call i said okay (laughs) so um uh I think they probably they probably emailed me. I don't think I got a call totally out of the blue, but they finally said, "Hey, it's time now to start searching. We're we're ready to begin the search." Mm-hmm. And I hadn't told my parents any of this yet because I just thought, "Well, I'm going to wait until I see if there's anything to actually tell them." So um, the when when she called, um, they she told me like what would happen with the the search, and she said. So you know we're going to start to do some looking around, and you should be prepared for a number of different outcomes. Like we might not find. Well, first of all, she said we can't search for your birth father. Um, I'm looking at your birth certificate right now, which something is I've never seen. My own birth certificate. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And she said um, it's very obvious that your father's name is not a true name. So I imagine it says John Doe or something like oh. that. She said if you want you can petition Henneman County to see your birth certificate and i'll 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 you know I'll file a, a letter saying I think you should be able to but it's not going to do you any good because it's obviously not a real name mm-hmm. so she said, so you should be prepared for so we can search for your birth mom but you should be prepared for the you know the following outcomes you know we might find her and she might not want to have any contact with you or we might not be able to find her um you know there's a whole bunch of things that might happen um and you know she said you know is there is there anything like if we do find her is there anything you want to tell her you know in case she doesn't want to have contact and i remember thinking i remember saying, saying something like well just tell her that you know i i i hope she doesn't feel bad i don't think she did anything wrong um and you know that i i i, I would just love to have some kind of contact with her Um, And then I remember like emailing a friend that night and writing and saying like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find her. um, But I hope if nothing else, I can see a picture of her because it would mean Mm -hmm. so much to see a photo of somebody else that looks like me, Mm -hmm. which if Mm -hmm. you're not adopted, I don't think you understand the, the powerfulness of that.
1: that.
0: No, No, you just, you know, when you don't look like anybody else, Anytime anybody says to you, like, "Hey, you remind me so much of my friend Steve," and you're like, "Oh, well, me? is Steve my brother?" Like, tell me more. You know. Um, anyway, so so, um, so so that's that's kind of how that's setting the stage for like you know everything that happened after that. I don't know if you have any questions before I can go on to the next stage. I'm not really sure the best way to do this. Sure. So
1: I just have a quick question. With those six months, you kind of knew it was going to take a while. Did you lose hope at that point? Um, I don't think I lost
0: hope. I don't think I really thought about it very much. Um, it was, um, you you know, most of my life I I was brought up to, you know, hope for the best and expect the worst. So Mm -hmm. I think if I thought about it, I was just was thinking like, well, you know, they, they, maybe my turn will never come up or they won't able to find anything. I just wasn't going to let my hopes get up. Sure. Um, Sure in any way. So, um, I just, I, I didn't think about it all that much. If I did, it was just this kind of vague black shadow in the background that I didn't know what was going to happen with it. Um, anyway, so the, um, the social worker had said to me like, well, you know, this, this might take as much as a year. I don't know. Um, when we find out more, we'll, we'll let you know. And then, Two days later, she called me and said, well, I have some bad news and I have a little bit of good news. And the bad news is, is that I found your birth mom, but she's already passed away. Oh. Um, and she never got married and she never had any other kids oh, wow. and she had no siblings
1: oh, my and
0: gosh. both of her parents are dead.
1: Oh, Wow.
0: So everybody was gone.
2: Yeah. That is quite the phone call. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. It was very sad. I just thought being adopted is a lot about experiencing loss and accepting loss. And it's Mm -hmm. experiencing loss that you didn't even realize was there. (laughs) And this was me experiencing the loss of why did I wait so long? Yeah. I I shouldn't have waited so long. You know, I was, I I wasn't angry. I was just really disappointed in myself that I hadn't acted sooner. Mm -hmm. But like I said, she said she had a tiny bit of good news, which was, she said, but I did find your birth mom's first cousin and she is willing to meet with you and talk with you. Um, I'm like, what's her name? And she's like, well, I can't tell you that <laughs> legally. I can't tell you any of that. But I've given her your contact information. Um, and this was in the fall of 2010, um, and um, I remember that because uh, I I was um, I'm a runner. At least I used to be more of a runner than I am now. And I was running the Twin Cities Marathon. Um, oh, yeah. And um, so it was whatever the first the first Saturday, first Sunday in October is when I think it is. And I remember my husband picked me up at the end of the marathon. He wasn't running it that year. And, you know, I was like, I'd gotten a really good time and I'd finished and I was really happy. And, um, we got in the car and, you know, I had stored my phone in the glove compartment of the car and I pulled it out and checked it after a little while. And then there was an email from a person who I didn't know it was. And she said, hi, I'm your cousin and, you know, I spoke to, um, so-and-so at Lutheran social service and I'm going to send you a packet.
2: Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: So, um, uh, several days later I got a package in the mail, um, and it was a photocopied family history, um, with a lot of photos in it. I found out later that it was from a, a big binder of, um, this family history. Um, and in it were several photos of my birth mom and my, my biological, uh, par- uh her, my biological grandparents so her parents. And, um, I, uh, I, I remember just being, I felt like I was like almost struck by a bolt of lightning because I looked so much like her. Oh. Uh, and, I uh, I, I'm speechless now as I was speechless yeah. then. It's just, it, again, you realize you realize you got something that you didn't even realize how badly you wanted until you actually get
2: it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I'm just, wow, That's that's crazy. Did you, in that packet then with, like, family history, like, I mean, had you been thinking about your, like, Quote unquote, I guess your excuse to do this with the medical side of things. Like, did you find any of that kind of information with this at all? Or did that kind of get take the back burner for a little bit?
0: Yeah, it that came later. So um the the cousin that I met, her name is Elena, and um she is such a sweetheart, and um she said to me, you know, she wrote a little note saying, you know, here's some information about your birth mom. Her name was Cheryl um, here's some information about Cheryl. Um, you know, we, we would love to meet you. God bless. And so, you know, I, uh, then all of a sudden I, like I, I knew, found out my birth mom's name was Cheryl. And, um, I, um, so I, I, I got the, I had the email from my cousin and I, um, so it's, she's my mom's first cousin. So she's my first cousin's once removed. So mm-hmm. I, I emailed her and then we set up a time actually, maybe, um, like three weeks later uh, to meet her. And, um, so, uh, I found out that, um, my mom, uh, her, her parents owned a general store in a tiny little town in, um, Southern Minnesota. It's so small that there's not even a, a stoplight there and they owned a general <laughs> store and they lived above it. Um, Aww. and so we, when we went to go meet uh, my cousin and I actually met a couple of other cousins, We went on a little driving tour of like the Spring Valley. It's down in that area, Spring Valley, Minnesota, and Rochester. That's kind of the area where um, where I would have where where my family is from, my birth mom's family is from. And um, and when I I'll I'll never forget when we first met her. You know, we we hugged each other and said how happy we were to meet. And she immediately gave me this giant box. Uh, and I looked inside and it was all family photos. Um, so it was tons of photos of Cheryl and her parents. It was, um, my, my mom's birth certificate and death certificate.
1: Um,
0: it was her college and high school diplomas. Uh, it was the book from her funeral that, Everyone had signed, you know, including like, you know, who gave what flowers were written in the back It was sort of like all the ephemera of that's left of our lives afterwards. Um, so that she, like on the first meeting, she just gave that to me and said, like, here, you're the one who should have this.
2: Oh Um, my gosh. Yeah.
0: So that just was, um, it just showed like a trust in me right out of the gate, which was just so, Mm -hmm. so nice. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really nice to receive that box of stuff, which I I now have. And, you know, it's the only kind of physical thing I have left of, or I have, yeah. I have of my, my birth mom.
1: I was just going to say, it was nice that you got something out of, you know, kind of bad news that was tough at first. But a lot of positive things kind of came out of that a little bit.
0: For sure. You know, it's, um, you know, I think you know, I'm much older than you guys. And so you'll realize once you get to be middle aged, like I am, that so much of life is about getting closure on different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was one of the layers of closure that I got on my adoption was like, well, I'm never going to get to meet these people, um, you know, meaning my my birth mom or or her parents. um, But, you know, at least I got this. And, you know, that's, I'm an optimistic person. And so I was kind of mm-hmm. looking on the bright side of it there, which, you know, I, I got to see a photo of her and hear something about her life and learn a little bit about her. And, you know, now it's, it's so strange. Cause I look at these vacation, I look at like her vacation photos and I try to like piece together stories and you know, it's all, you just sort of making up stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
2: during that time then with those family members, did you learn about like the circumstances around your adoption? Like why that happened or anything like that? I learned
0: a little bit. Um, so, um, uh, you know, the, the, that part of Minnesota, um, southeastern Minnesota is more conservative than the twin cities. It's a pretty conservative part of the state. And of course in the 1960s, if you were an unwed pregnant woman, um, you know, that was a a source of shame and, um, you would, she would have been um, pressured into giving up uh, her, her child for adoption. And, and I'll say, you know, like my views on this have evolved a lot in the last couple of years when, as I started working on this project, um, and I, I read this amazing book by Ann Fessler, you know, The Girls Who Went Away. I don't know if you guys have read that oh, book.
2: That. I don't know that I've read it, but I've heard of that one.
0: Uh, it's amazing.
2: Uh,
0: I don't have it right here, but it's called The Girls Who Went Away, The Hidden History of Adoption in the Decades Before Roe v. Wade. Um, and uh, I bring that up. Um, but when when you're a kid and you start to think about the circumstances of your adoption, you think of it only in terms of yourself. You think of, you ask yourself, why was I given up? Like, why was I not good enough? Like, did they not love me? Like, why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. And it's only when you get older and you start to understand how the world works. Or when I read this book in which this, um, this, uh, the writer and Fessler, she interviewed hundreds of women who were pressured to giving up their, their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, you realize like, oh, this adoption happened to my birth mom too, which sounds ridiculous when you say it because of course it did. But as a kid, you don't think of it that way. You never think of it from the birth mom's point of view. So she, given the time, I'm just guessing, you know, based on what I read in, in this book by Ann Fessler, which is a heartbreaking account of first-person first, first person, um, stories of dozens and dozens of women that she interviewed. I mean, you know, there was, I don't know how many, 2 million adoptions, something like that, but just so many, so many women she interviewed who, who not only they, they didn't know like how you got pregnant because that wasn't taught in the schools. And when they did get pregnant, they, you know, they just were told by their parents, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to this home. You're going to give up the baby. You're never going to talk about it again. And that was like such a common story. And Mm -hmm. so like, it was only when I got older and I read that book, I realized like, oh, so this is what it would have been like for her. So she left school. She was at her second year in college, and she took a year off of school. She, my cousin told me that she was basically sequestered um, in the apartment above the store. It was a secret, but you know, it was an open secret. Everybody wow. knew about it, but yeah. nobody ever talked about it. She gave birth to me, gave me up, and then went to another school to finish off her degree. Wow. And nobody in the family ever talked about it. And I don't think that that's at all in common. I think that's the norm yeah. uh, for for kids that were adopted, for families, you know, from everything from post-war up until, I don't know when that stopped, maybe the 80s, I'm not sure.
2: Wow. 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 That's a lot to, that's a book I've been actually meaning to check out. I have it somewhere around here, but there's a lot of research I still have yet to be done. But that's, uh, I remember reading kind of the synopsis of that and I was like, oh, wow, this is Something because this is obviously before Erica and I were around, so it's like you know something that I think deserves some diving into and such.
0: It, it really does. Um, uh, the, other, the other thing I would recommend too is I don't know if you've listened to um, Danny Shapiro's podcast, Family Secrets. Um, she's a writer, um, and it's, it's an interesting podcast. She has all kinds of people she interviewed, but one of them from the first season. Um, you could also listen to that. It's a similar story to um, the Ann Fessler book. Uh, okay. It's The episode's called The Secret Son, and it's just one story of a woman and how she got pregnant and was kind of tricked into giving up her, her son wow. for adoption wow. by her own parents.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to listen to that
0: one. That's not- yeah, I, I held up this box of tissues because if you read the book, you— You definitely have to have a box of tissues nearby because that book is just heartbreaking.
1: Oh, for sure.
2: I can imagine. Are you still in touch with um, some of those family members that you met, like your cousins and such? Yeah. So
0: I am, um, uh, I, um, you know, we trade emails every couple of months and um, Christmas cards and, uh, Bert and I, Bert's my husband, we go down, uh, they live down in Owatonna and we go down and see them uh, like once a year. Usually we'll go down like for an afternoon and they'll make a special lunch. And so I've met, you know, some of their kids and some of their grandkids and they're just, they're very sweet, very, very good Minnesotans, Yeah, yeah. You know, good, good hearted people who, um, you know, only want the best and, you know, have been so welcoming of me and so understanding, um, of my questions and my journey.
2: I guess then kind of going into, so obviously you had that, um, uh, had, get, you know, received those photos and everything. Like, first of all, I guess, like what's your career been like with photography? Like how long have you been doing that? Has that been kind of in your life this whole time? And is like, just kind of how this all started, I guess, with the Family Resemblance Project.
0: Sure, yeah. Um, so um, being a photographer is a, actually a second career for me. I only started okay. doing it a baby about uh, six years ago. Um, wow. Although my dad was a photographer, so I grew up with photography. And, um, you know, my graduate degrees in film, so I was a filmmaker for a while. So okay. I've always been around image making, but I worked most of my career in um uh, in film and television, in um, making, um, uh, producing uh, corporate and commercial videos uh, uh, for agencies and TV networks and corporate clients, always as a producer, um, always with smaller companies here in the Twin Cities, and um, uh, and I, I really liked that, but kind of got to a point where I was ready to start working for myself, mm-hmm. and um, so I, mm-hmm. I became a photographer in 2014. And, um, I, uh, the reason I became a photographer is actually from Instagram, um, because, you know, when I was a producer in film and video, when, as a producer, you don't actually make anything, right? You just help other people make things. Mm-hmm. So I was always like working with a team of really talented people and helping facilitate things as a project manager. Um, and then Instagram came out and what I loved about that was you could make a photo and, edit a photo and share a photo all by yourself. Like you didn't need anybody else to make it. You mm-hmm. know, when I was making films, you need a crew of people. Uh, so um, I, so I started just like making all these photos on Instagram and found out, remembered how much I loved making things all by myself. Mm. Um, and then I, so I got a lot of followers on Instagram and, you know, was at the time Instagram, you'd, you'd become a suggested user. And so anybody who signed up for the app would then like, suggest that you follow their account. So you would get like two to 3000 followers every day, which was just insane for a while there. Um, so I started getting a little bit of work through Instagram, um, you know, not from Instagram, but like from clients who found me there. So that kind of gave me the leap to, uh, the courage to make the leap into doing my own photo work. Um, and, uh, I was being, um profiled by that show minnesota original which is done by our local pbs station tpt they're on like their 10th season i think now they profile minnesota artists it's like a magazine format show where they'll maybe profile three different artists in the half hour and there's like eight minutes per artist and it's all different types of artists mm-hmm. so they contacted me in 2016 because um, they had been following some work that i had been doing and said like hey we think you know it's you're really interesting. Um, we would love to do a segment on you. Um, and the producer came to my house and we talked through like what the storyline would be, which you know sounds so funny, but that's you know like what's what's going to make good television. And they said to me like the the storyline, you know, you know we can imagine is you know you you, be, you discover your rediscover your love for photography through Instagram, and then you want to um, you you quit your job, you become a photographer and then what's next for you? And I said, like, well, you know, I would love to kind of be doing my own personal projects and transition to becoming a fine art photographer. And they said, great, let's, like, we want to photograph you, want to shoot some film of you doing, uh, like, a fine art photography project. And I'm like, well, I don't really have one I'm doing right now. And they're like, well, do you have any ideas for one? And I said, well, I have this idea for a project that's called Family Resemblance, where I'd photograph people that look like each other. And, but I, I haven't got it all figured out yet, so I don't want to start the project till I'm ready to figure out. And they're like, "Well, we don't have to. You don't have to have the project figured out. Like, we just need to have, you know, get some film of you like shooting it. So it's okay if you don't have it fully figured out yet." And I remember at the time thinking like, "Well, I can't start this project. I'm not ready."
2: Yeah.
0: But you know, I like played along, and so we. I got some good friends of mine who are brothers to come into the studio. They're like people I've been friends with since I've been twelve years old, and. Um, and we, we, we did some photo, you know, I, I shot some photos of them and you know, kind of at the last minute I thought like, well, I want this to be all about their faces. So I said, can you guys wear white shirts? I'm going to put you on a white background so that it's not about like the wardrobe. And I did like really flat mm-hmm. lighting on them. So it's just about their faces and you wouldn't really think about anything else. So I posted those photos and then I was so glad that the, these TV producers had made me start this project, even though I didn't mm-hmm. think I was ready because I looked at the photos and I was like, Wow there's something of interest here. So I like posted them on Facebook um, and said like, Hey, I'm going to be doing this project. Does anybody want to come in? And I, you know, I had like six photos of the, of my, my friends, Tim and Andrew that I posted there. And almost immediately a bunch of friends like wrote me and said like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to come bring in my brother. I want to bring in my mom or, you know, like I have some friends who would be perfect for this. Like they're, you know, their kid is a mini me of them. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh gosh. So I had like, all these people who were interested wow. so i had to quickly figure out like a way to organize all that and then i'd figure out a way that people could automatically sign up for time slots and so i just <laughs> started collecting all this data i just started photographing people not really having any idea like what i was going to do with it but the process of it was always so interesting i mean it was always it was always a little bit of a coming out process for me because um, I don't mean as, as gay, but as, as an adoptee, because everyone would yeah. come into the studio, I would sit down with them and, you know, I'd have them sign a release. And as they were signing the release, I would say like, I just want to tell you like a little bit about the project. Like I'm doing it because I'm adopted. I don't look like anybody else in my family. and I've always found that people that do resemble each other. I've just found that really fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes they would just say like, Oh, okay, that's interesting sometimes they would say like, Oh, you're adopted. You poor thing. I mean, you know, which is, which is offensive, even though they didn't mean to be offensive. Like they just weren't thinking about it, (laughs) but often it would, it would result in like, Oh, like my friend is adopted. And you know, he said something similar to me or sometimes it would be like, yeah, I'm adopted. And I, uh, and that's why I brought in my kid because it's the first time I saw somebody that looked like me was when I had kids and it was always so exciting when I would have someone who was adopted come in because they instantly understood like what, what the motivation yes. for the project was.
1: Exactly.
0: So, um, I just, I shot people for like about, um, seven or eight months and, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I would give people, um, watermarked proofs of themselves that they could share on social media and that just helps it sort of spread so that people would see the project and they would say to their friends, like, what is this? So like all of those people ended up becoming evangelists for the project and bringing more and more people into the studio. And then about like eight or nine months after I had started the project, um, I got contacted by the Star Tribune. Um, So this is in 2017 and they said, um, you know, Hey, we think your project is really interesting. We'd love to do a story about it. And so they came, um, the reporter came to my studio and we talked about it and I gave them a bunch of photos and then they did, um, a big story on it in the star tribune. It was the entire page, the front page of the variety section. It was just all my photos. And then the story was inside. They ran something like 20 photos. It was great. (sighs) And then, after that, then the floodgates opened, and I just had so many people coming in to to be photographed um, and and you know I, I the the sessions were often not often they were sometimes really personal. Sometimes people would share things um, about their lives with me, um even if they weren't adopted, they would share things about like um, they would be there with their sister, and they would like maybe kind of talk about how they didn't get along as kids, but they got along now. Mm-hmm. And it was something about thinking about the project for for the subjects. It was something about being in that space or thinking about the project or hearing my story. It would trigger in them this reflectiveness where they would think about their own lives and think mm-hmm. about their own relationships with their family members. Not always, but often. And it would often lead to these really interesting conversations. So while we were shooting, I would usually have people pose a certain way. I would ask them to like you know sit facing forward and not smile and turn their head the same direction or turn their head the other direction. Mm. And then I would start asking them questions. And then while they were while they were talking, I would keep shooting because I would find sometimes when people were just not trying to look alike, they would end up looking more alike. Yeah. And then at the third thing I would always do is I always would allow people to do anything they wanted at the end, you know, which would usually they would just put their arm around their loved one and be photographed together. Um, but often when we were talking, it led to these really interesting conversations. Um, and and then I also had so many people with, adoption stories come in to be part of the project. You know, the vast majority of people who came in, you know, weren't adopted or had no connection to adoption, but a lot of them were, a lot of them were adoptees like us Mm -hmm. who um, came in with, like like I said earlier, their biological kid. I had three different adoptees come in with um, a biological parent that they'd found later on.
1: And that just felt like such a
0: special,
1: a special special
0: thing to be able to, to hear about their reunion story and to document this thing yes. that they had found. Um, I also had um, multiple families come in who had adopted kids and all the kids were biologically related to each oh other, no. which I didn't even realize was the thing, but it, it happens a fair amount. Oh, um, wow. And so that was just really interesting to, you know, and in one family's case, I can't remember all of them, but in one family's case, I know, it was they had, I think, adopted two brothers mm-hmm. um, from this family. It was an open adoption, uh, and then later on, that those biological parents said, "Like we're going to have another kid, and for whatever reason, we we can't take care of it, or we don't want this kid." And so then they adopted that daughter later on, um, and so oh they're complete gosh. full full brothers and sisters, um, oh you know. Gosh. And I just think that's. That's just such an amazing thing because, of course, that never would have happened for, you know, when people were adopting kids when I was born in the 60s. Sure. Uh, I'm just, you know, I find open adoption so curious. I, mm. I don't want to paint it as like it's this miracle answer because I know for a lot of people it brings up other all kinds of other issues and other problems. But to me, mm. it always seemed like, oh, like that would have been so great to be able to know my mm. birth parents and, and also, you know, know my birth, my, I mean, my adoptive parents as well.
2: Like I love that there were so many different types of families that kind of came out from that. Um, so you don't, do you have any children of your own at all?
0: No, we don't have kids. And so, okay. and yeah, uh, so, you know, I the only connection I have with it with resemblances are uh, those photos, photos of Cheryl.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. So kind of given that, like given your kind of like fascination growing up with people that do look alike. Cause like I get that all the time where people are like, Oh, you were like, when you said like, oh, you remind me of my friend. And I mean, Eric and I are adopted from Columbia. So it's like, okay, they're not my cousin. They don't, or they're not like a close relative, obviously, but it's still like, oh, that's so funny to hear that someone has the same hair as me or something like that. You know, that's something that obviously a lot of adoptees share. Um, but do you, since that's always been kind of something on your mind, do you feel like since you don't have the, or you kind of chose not to you know, have children to, you know, have that resemblance, you know, carbon copy, you know, of yourself. Do you find that, like, we were talking about closure and everything. Do you think of the family resemblance project as kind of a different sense of closure for yourself at all?
0: It's, yeah, for sure. It's closure on multiple levels and and levels I didn't even expect, you know, it. Hmm. um, on one level, uh, it's, um, it's closure because uh, I, I feel like I made this project that's out in the world now, and I and so mm-hmm. I don't have any control over it anymore. Right? It's just it's just out there and it sure. lives. And and I ended up writing a very personal introduction to the book, um, which talks through a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right now. Um, when I, I I wanted people to when they looked at the book to be able to experience it in multiple ways. So some people might only look at the photos and uh, and say, like, oh, that's so great. It's neat to see, like, these, all these sets of mothers and daughters. The book is organized into different sections, so mother-daughter, father-son, etc. So the, the power of the book isn't necessarily seeing a single photo. The power of the book is when you see multiple photos all together. Like, here's ten sets of brothers – and you you get to enjoy it a, a lot more and on a different way. So I, I knew some people would only experience the project that way, and that's fine. I ended up also, um, as a side note, soliciting comments from um, some of the participants on what family means to them or what resemblance means to them. I, I did that mm-hmm. because the project, what, as I remember, I said when we were talking, we often ended up having these really great conversations, and. Um, and i just thought like that's such a great a neat part of the, this experience so i ended up including some of that in the book so um often the when that often there's probably like I don't know maybe 30 in the book there'll be like a, a photo on the, on the one side of the this this mother daughter on the left side it'll be like an experience you know talking about what 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 family or family resemblance means to them and it's everything from um you know, a mother and daughter who look so much alike that they regularly get stopped into the, in the street to, Mm. for people to just comment on that and, and like how they just sort of have accepted that over time. And then there's also comments in there from, you know, people who, you know, their, their mom is maybe of a different ethnicity than they are because, you know, they were, it was a, maybe a a Caucasian mom and an African-American dad and, and kind of what that, what that experience is like. Um, or it's, you know, I have these two sisters who are um, from adopted from Korea and what it's like to for them to um, grow up in a transracial adoption. And, you know, you can't really get into yeah. a lot of deep thing in a short quote, but at least it sure. gives you when you read those quotes, it gives you a broader experience of what family means and what family resemblance means. And then mm-hmm. the last thing that, you know, the last two parts of the book are, are my introduction. And like I say, I wrote this really personal introduction because if people read that and no, not everyone would, it would give them yet another, another idea about what family and family resemblance means, you know, from my very specific point of view, um, you know, the, in the introduction, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about speaking for anybody else other than myself, which is why it's so personal and, and so we were talking about closure. The reason I bring that up is that gave me a lot of closure on on my adoption. Mm-hmm. It helped put into yeah. words the things I had been feeling, you know, that you, it helped me realize that I had been mourning for this life that I never actually lived, this life mm-hmm. with my birth mom and my birth dad, this, you know, it made you realize that you lost this thing, even though it's an abstract thing that you lost it. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, right. You know, that's, it's all like, I'm just like crying over something that's really tiny and doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Like we have much bigger problems in the world as we're all definitely aware of right now, but still, you know, you, you have to also take care of those things inside you, you know, because otherwise you're not a complete and happy person. So writing that, it helped me realize all these different things that were related to my adoption that I needed to, that I could finally sort of like stop, stop thinking about because it gave them a name. It helped me realize like I, 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 I needed to, to understand that this had happened to me and accept it and that this had happened to me and to accept that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, the other thing that happened that the other part of the book that gave me closure is that in the middle of shooting this book, um, my, my parents died, uh, my birth parents died. And, um, you know, it was uh, incredibly sad for me as it is, which I know it's a dumb thing to say. It was doubly sad because they, um, they died just two weeks apart. Um, oh my gosh, you know, my dad, my dad had been sick for a long time. And so we had been expecting his passing, but then, you know, my mom, died two weeks later. Um, and, you know, it was pretty clear that, I mean, she had underlying health issues, obviously, but it was pretty clear she died because she didn't want to be in the world without yeah. my dad anymore. I mean, you know, she was 86 and they had met when she was 19. Wow. You know, they'd, they'd been married oh my for, gosh. yeah. So it's like her, almost her whole life, certainly her whole adult life You know, and Mm -hmm. they had had a really good relationship, you know, rocky like everybody's, but just they, especially as they were older, they were just so sweet together. And so, you know, it's so strange to give the eulogy for your dad's one, one week and then two weeks later, you're giving the eulogy for your mom, you know, as a little bit of black humor. You're the only, the only positive to having your parents die that, uh, that close together is planning the second funeral is a lot easier. You're like, Oh, just same flowers, same church, same food. Um,
2: you are very positive. I like it.
0: (laughs) So, well, it took me a long time and some antidepressants, which I'm, I'm still on to try to help deal with all that. But, um, the, uh, so that was also something like once I held that book in my hands, it also, it also helped give me closure on my parents' passing. Um, if that makes any sense. I mean, the no, book yeah. isn't about them dying, but the book is about them in a roundabout way. I mean, they're obviously big players in my life. And um, uh, so that it just, that, the book just gave me closure on a, on a lot of different levels, yeah. both from things I didn't even realize they needed and then things that I hoped it would. And, and I actually really hoped that when I got that book, it would help me have some peace about my parents passing. And it really sure. did. Um, and, and, kind of make, making that story even a little bit more difficult is that. So I, I once ancestry.com came out in and 23 andme me right? Like I signed up for those and I was able to find like some distant cousins on my birth father's side. Um oh, cuz remember really? I never could find out anything about my birth father because the name on the sure. birth certificate was a, was a made up name. And so about 3 3 months after my parents died, um uh, maybe 4 months I got a little ping on ancestry and it said I had a a new first cousin and it was the first time I'd had a first cousin appear on ancestry. And so I looked at it and I could tell that he was not, I could could see he wasn't related to Elena, my first cousin on my mom's side that I already knew because she and I were connected on ancestry already. So I was like, wow, this is a, this is a related to my birth father. And so I like, I, I don't know if you guys have had to do this, but you have to approach this very gently, right? You send like, (laughs) <laughs> an email where you're not revealing too much and you're trying to not sound like a crazy person. Like I'm dying to know all this information. You're just like, hi, uh, I noticed that we are connected. Um, I think we might be related through my birth father. You know, I was born you know, in Minnesota in 1965. Just wondering if we have any information. And this guy, um, uh, he wrote me back right away and said like, Whoa, I don't know anything about that. Um, but we started chatting, you know, through the message board on Ancestry, and because he only had one uncle, it was pretty clear that his uncle must have been my birth father. And then oh, the next wow. thing I knew, I was talking to his father. In other words, the guy turned out to be my birth uncle. And so he and I chatted via email and, um, I found out that yes, indeed, like so. This other guy, um, his first name is Tom. He he was my birth father, even, even though this uncle, did, even though my uncle didn't know anything about it, um, but he's like you know, he had to be your birth father. Like we used to live in Minnesota, um, but you know, I got some news for you, which is that he just died.
2: Ah, oh. oh. So in
0: 2018, I lost three parents.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh, that's tough.
0: So um, that was also hard, and was another part of closure in the book was, you know, I never got to meet Tom. I did able, to, I was able to see photos with Tom, and I don't look anything like him at all, which makes sense because I look so much <laughs> like Cheryl, so much like my birth mom. <laughs> but you know, I was really sad because I wanted, I wanted to know, like, how did they meet? You know, what were yeah. the circumstances? Like were they lovers, you know, or was this a one night thing or was it something more sinister? Like, you know, was, I don't, you know, was she sexually assaulted? Like, who knows? Like anything could have yeah. happened. And I, you just, you want to know those. And now, now no, everybody who knows that is gone. So I'll, I'll never know that information.
1: But in a sense, wow. you still have closure of finding him in a sense, you know? And so there's a, Closure, but not exactly what you expected, but some type of closure.
0: Some type of closure, yeah, Yeah. some type of closure.
1: So with your project, what made you want to make it all into a book? Was that (laughs) kind of talk about that?
0: That's that's a really good question. So I told you earlier that when I started shooting, I didn't really know what the end result was going to be. Um, I just was shooting. I was just accumulating all this data. And I'll say, like, you know, I shot for about three years, and I, I, I was just over 24,000 photos.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, I
0: shot around 700 people um, over that time. Uh, and I realized maybe after about a year and a half into it that I kind of hinted at this earlier – that it wasn't going to be about one or two single photos. Like the power of the project wasn't in seeing one photo. The power of the project was in seeing multiple photos together. And so that's when the idea of a book came up. I was like, well, a book is really uh, the best way where you can kind of like spend time looking at this photo and then turn the page and and looking at the next photo. And, and the book is laid out in such mm-hmm. a way that Remember I said earlier that there's different there's different chapters and so in the chapter that's siblings, for instance, um, there'll be ten photos of siblings on this two page spread. So you can look at all these small photos of these siblings together. And then when you get into the chapter, it's usually just either a photo by itself or two photos facing each other, or it's a photo with a, a quote from one of the people in the photos. Um, and so that, that seemed like the natural way to, to, to do the project um, is that it could put it out that way, that people could, um, people could experience it that way.
2: Well, Eric, do you have any questions for us at all about, like, about anything?
0: <laughs> I appreciate that you guys are doing this. You know, I think that there's a lot of things that are misunderstood about adoption. And um, for whatever reason, not a lot of people talk about adoption, um, yeah. I also, you know, adoption is obviously not this monolithic thing or either, you know, there are so many different types of adoption and so many different experiences of adoption. When, when I, um, so in addition to the book, I also made a website for the project, which is mm-hmm. just simply family resemblance project.com and, um, Uh, I I made the, I made the website in part because I could only fit 120 photos in the book, right? And remember I told you I shot (laughs) 24,000, so there are more photos on the website than there are in the book, but there's not the, um, there's not, my essay doesn't appear there. And there's also another essay in the book that I didn't tell you about. That's not on the website either. It's by Ann Fessler, that author that I was telling you about. I contacted her and asked her to write uh, you know, a, a, a very brief version of her book kind of like from from Cheryl's point of view, from my birth mom's point of view. I mean, it's all speculation, right? I mean, she we don't know a lot of the specifics of like what her parents would have said to her but she she talks in general like what it was like for women at that time um, and what it might have been like for Cheryl to mm. find herself pregnant and have to give, give me up. Um, I wanted that in the book because I think it's something that people don't talk about, and I wanted that to be part of what is about family. You know, I think it's important to to hear those difficult things that, that happen sometimes in families. So, um, so that that essay from ancestor also doesn't appear on the website. That's exclusive to the book. Um, but so, yeah, so I did build this website, and um, uh, that so that's a great way you can at least look at a lot of the photos, even though you don't get to read everything that's in the book there. And it's, it's, it's really fun, I think, to look at, um, you get to see all different types of expressions. Like I say, some of the, some of the photos I put in, the people are, are what I think of as like old tiny photos, right? Where they're not smiling, they're looking directly yeah. at the camera, but other times, you know, people would be like laughing the exact same moment, have tipped their head the same way that I'll be in there. Or sometimes, you know, I remember I told you that I would say people could do anything that they wanted and sometimes people would just do like the funniest things. Like I had these two like kind of burly bearded brothers when I said to them, like, Hey, is there anything you want to do, um, you know, for yourselves? And they're like, um, yeah, we want to choke each other like Bart Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they're, like, you know, jokingly <laughs> choked each other and I took a photo. Um, and, and there are a number of other people of other people who were photographed in the project who are now deceased. Yeah. Um, and so I think about you, you know, how nice it, what an honor it is to have documented these moments mm-hmm. for these family members so that they have them now and they can look back at them, you know, and, you know, often we we don't get formal photos done anymore, you know, like we're all photographers now, but we often don't go to get a formal photo shot with nice lighting and everything. And not when we're all posed in a certain way and maybe not in a very high quality, right. Cause you know, our phones are good, but you know, they're not quite the same quality as you get with a, you know, a full frame camera. And so it's, it's, that's sort of an extra legacy of the project that I hadn't anticipated is that, you know, I'm hoping that it will still give to people who participated in it, that they'll have these photographs that they can remember for people who are no longer with us Mm. just like i have the photos of cheryl who's no longer with me so like the inspiration for the project you know is now something that's kind of keeps paying dividends forward to other people
1: wow that's amazing yeah
2: that's that's so cool i think that's really important obviously just for people to kind of find their purpose and everything and that's kind of like why we're doing this you know we kind of just like It kind of came out of nowhere, but it was just like, let's do this. I don't like, like you said, it was like, I don't know what we're really doing, but we're just going to do it and hope for the best and just kind of start producing things and see where it goes. So I think that's something that's really important for, you know, adoptees to realize too. Great. So um, just to wrap things up, um, what other, like, What types of uh, photography do you do and like where can people find you on your website, Instagram, stuff like that? Sure.
0: Yeah. So um, I do uh, as a photographer, since we're all photographers now, I do a bunch of different things, which you have to in order to make a living. So I do um, a lot of corporate headshots. Um, I do uh, um, some commercial work. I do some um, editorial work for magazines. Uh, and then I have my own artistic practice. So I, you know, do make my own photos and print them and show them and sell them, things like that. Um, and so my own my own uh, website is Eric Miller Photography, but um, Miller is spelled M U E L L E R. So it's E R I C M U E L L E R photography.com, which is super long, but at least it's self explanatory. <laughs> and then you can also, as I said earlier, you can find Family Resemblance at Family Resemblance Project com. That's a little bit easier to remember.
2: Perfect. All right, great. Well, thank you again so much for coming and talk to us today. We would love to um, hopefully meet at some point once things are maybe back to normal and uh, chat a little bit more about this.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I, I would love that too. It's, I think it's just really good to have conversations like this. It forces you to sort of think about your own life and think about the lives of others like in context and it's just a real honor for you to invite me on your show. So thank you.
1: Thank you you.
2: you so much. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the sunshine.
0: Thank you guys. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you. Bye. Bye. I did not anticipate everything that he had like, because we only had such little information just because like the web or the uh, article in Star Tribune is about the Family Resemblance Project. It's obviously not about just his adoption. So, like, we have practically nothing going into that. And that was just,
1: that oh, was my deep. gosh. And a lot of that people, was... like, you think about trying to find your birth family, you always think about the good, you know, or kind of you only hear oh, the good okay. stories. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, that's a better word for it. And it's just, oh
2: hard I'm I'm just blown away I'm sure you probably feel a lot of different things about that just because like you did go through that you had a great outcome you know yeah. I think pretty much for the most part you know as far as I know it's like it's a there's so many different variables and I think it's so interesting that you, I think about your story and just the fact that you're from a foreign country and you had this outcome he's from in the same state yeah yeah and it all, like, the timing of everything. Like, when he said that he had lost three parents in 2018. <sighs> two parents within two weeks is hard enough. Like, or one, ever. Yeah. But three, and that's just, like...
1: And he's still so positive. I love that because it's, know. it's hard to be positive in, you know, tough times. But he really took that and made his project and made it, you know, something that he can really be thankful and happy and proud about it, which he should be. Exactly.
2: No, I think um, that's definitely a book that I, I wanted to wait until we interviewed him to kind of check that out more and just kind of like so we could have the backstory. But um, yeah, I, I just I think what he did with his information is very unique. Because um, I think like what you and I are doing, we have the same inner feeling that kind of caused us to do this. So I think it was just like, and as a person who's artistic myself, you know, like I get that, like where it's wanting to do something. And I think with us, it's kind of like, I like having conversations. So that's where we, you know, kind of came up with it being a podcast for us. But I just thought it was so interesting that he took the thing he never had Mm -hmm. that he was fascinated with and used his artistic ability with photography And that's where his closure comes from. I just think that that's so
1: interesting. Yeah. And it's funny how closure happens in a different way for everybody.
2: Exactly. It's all just like such a different thing. I really hope that we can, you know, meet him sometime soon and just talk about stuff like this. Cause also it is like he mentioned a few times, like we're obviously from very different demographics. Like he's closer to, you know, he's more of like our parents' age and stuff and it's, Uh, he was from a whole different life. He's also, you know, had to come out like, you know, he was growing up and, you know, finally got to uh, proudly say that, you know, he's living as a gay man, you know, when he was just slightly younger than we are now, we're living in such a different life then. It's like, I've always thought like people who have those kinds of things have this extra layer of figuring out their identity. And I'm just like, Identity is yeah. hard enough, but when you have some things that just are, also aren't socially acceptable it is a whole different ballgame.
1: And for us talking about how we have no resources at this time, you know, no. in that area and time frame is just like, I, it's so tough.
2: Yeah. And I think with what, um, I don't know, I think that's a really interesting perspective, actually, because... I, I feel like at this point I refuse to be satisfied with the resources that exist for us because there's so few. Right. And I think it's talking to people like that, that kind of help us guide like where to go next Mm -hmm. and what to talk about next because things it's, things haven't improved enough in my opinion and it's just like i think there's a lot more to be done and i think that's okay for us to be like no not satisfied like we need more because like there's someone like that who went through this and although like people always say like you guys turned out well and obviously he you know quote unquote turned out well it's still just kind of a matter of like making sure that people are supported and loved and have a chance to grow as their own selves like No matter how you find that identity, if it's a photography project, if it's finding birth parents, if it's reading books, if it's counseling.
1: Just that feeling and, you know, comfort of not having to hide either. Exactly. Known that it's so common and those feelings and that guilt. And I mean, all of those different things of trying to find your identity is so, so common. And a lot of us are with you on that. If you're listening to this Mm -hmm. and have that feeling, you know, definitely just reach out, talk to us. You know, we can just be a listening ear, even if you don't want to be on our podcast, we want to, yeah, we want to just express that it's, it's so common and we're here for you guys.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important. That's a really good thing to stress is just the fact that we are, although we're here to share stories, obviously, not everyone's comfortable sharing their story. And that's fine. Like I've had people reaching out talking about their adoption more recently. And it's like, or just kind of like some other issues surrounding it. And I do think it's important just to stress that like, because our goal, obviously, is not just to be a podcast. Obviously, like we want to identify these issues. And having other conversations with other adoptees will help us expand on our podcast and be able to talk about these issues, but it doesn't have to be like, what's your story? How do you feel about it? Like it doesn't have to be this proclamation of your life. It's like, we also want to make sure that we are supporting our community and making sure that they have resources and we're always there to help you find resources. And again, and that doesn't matter if that's with, some sort of artistic um, expression, or again, just like finding resources with books or counseling, or again, just conversation, because that helps Erica and myself also. It's it's not one-sided where it would be like, do you want to talk about it? It would like for yourself, it would also just like to be a conversation where people do feel more comfortable talking about that with their own lives.
1: Absolutely.
2: Please be sure to check out Eric Miller on his website. Uh, We'll be tagging him in our, you know, Instagram posts and such just to make sure that you guys can find him Uh, and make sure to check out the family family resemblance uh, project online. Um, And as always, just follow, like and subscribe. Uh, We've been hearing from a lot of people lately just with encouraging us. And we just really want to say thank you to everybody. Until next time. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.